That's quite a long reading. Um, we're not going to cover all of it, so you don't need to be afraid. Well, where to start? Sometimes, I don't know if you recognize the feeling, but sometimes we read stories or listen to stories that we know so well that we almost forget to really listen to the story. Do you, do you recognize that feeling? And there is so much that's, that's going on in this passage that uh, Daniel read to us. But let's not do that this evening. Let's try really hard to actually read the story and to be paying attention to what's going on. In the New Testament, James uh, describes in his letter somebody who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. And he says that they will be blessed in what they do. This idea of not just hearing and then forgetting, but holding it and carrying it forwards as we, we go on in our lives. So, we're continuing in our year series, and we're going through the entirety of the Old Testament. We've made it to Genesis chapter 3. Um, that's a really long way. Um, so let's recap really briefly what's happened up until now. Creation has taken place. All things were made and ordered by Yahweh God. Um, just a note here. When in your Bibles you see the term Lord God, and Lord is in all block capitals, it's referring to the personal name of God, um, which he reveals to the Israelites later on in Israel, uh, in Exodus, sorry. Um, but we won't get to Exodus tonight. Um, mankind is made in the very image and likeness of God and given the task to rule over the fish, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. The man and his wife are placed in the garden, which is what we just read, and they are given all the trees in the garden to eat from, except for one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When they eat from this tree, God tells them that they will die. And in our reading today, we're introduced to a mysterious creature who is in rebellion to God. The snake questions what God has said. Eve listens to the snake and believes that she will be like God. She eats the fruit and then she gives it to Adam to eat as well. Their eyes are opened, they realize that they are naked and they cover themselves. When they hear God walking in the garden, they're afraid and they hide from him. God confronts Adam and he asks him if he's eaten from the tree that he was told not to. 
Adam blames Eve and indirectly God. Eve blames the snake. God curses the snake and the ground because of Adam. There are consequences for Adam and Eve as well. And finally, they are sent out from the garden. Having read and recapped the story so far, up to the end of Genesis chapter 3, and like I mentioned earlier, we won't be getting all the way to the end of the chapter 3, because it's just so much. Um, There are four things that I would like us to um, focus on, and we'll stop about halfway and, and reflect, and then we'll move on afterwards. And these things are, a lot of them are really quite closely linked together, um, so they kind of jump back or reference each other a little bit. Bear with me. So the first thing, number one, the garden. As the story opens up, we see that man and woman are placed into a garden. Now, you might be thinking about your garden at home and how lovely it is, Maybe not this time of year, how lovely it is, how bare and barren it looks. But we need to remember that the Old Testament view of the world was really drastically different from our own. They didn't see the world in the same way that we see the world. So when we talk about heaven, or the heavens, and we read the heavens, we think about space, and we think about stars and galaxies and all of that stuff. And people who were around in Old Testament times, I don't, they didn't think so much in those terms. It was more of heaven is a different dimension. And it's a dimension that God lives in and that we, can't, we don't have access to. Earth is where we live, and this is our dimension, and God isn't really very present very often. There are occasional hot spots where God is present, and if we think about things like the burning bush, and we think about the tabernacle and the temple, these are kind of ideas of this overlapping of heaven, God's living space, and the earth out. Um, These tended to be on mountains or hills as they were closer to the heavens. And from our Bible knowledge, we know already that the majority of shrines or temples were located on hills or mountains or high places. And in fact, this garden that we are introduced to at the beginning of Genesis chapter 3 is a place where heaven and earth are completely overlapping, where God's very presence is represented in the tree of life at the center of the garden. So this wasn't any old garden. And if we've read some of the the rest of the Old Testament, especially the parts that reference the tabernacle or the temple um, and think about Ezekiel and his visions of the temple, we might recognize that there are similarities between the Garden of Eden 
and the tabernacle and the temple. Eden is the place where God and mankind live together. Eden is where heaven and earth completely overlap. And it's a place which is represented by imagery such as fruit and trees, gold and precious stones, waters and rivers. Things that will all appear later on in our story in the fabric and design of the tabernacle and the temple as well as in the New Testament, the New Jerusalem in the Revelation of John. As we start out into the scenery of Genesis chapter 2 and 3, there is a sense of awe that the intention from the very beginning was for mankind and God to fully live together in community. And for mankind to rule over creation with the delegated authority that was given to them by God himself. So this is how our story starts. And then if we think, like I mentioned, to John's revelation in the New Testament, it's how the story ends. And so how does this change or impact our view of what heaven, the kingdom of God, or the new Jerusalem what those things will, will look like, what they will be like, if we think of them as another kind of Eden. Okay, the second thing, the mysterious snake. Into the location of this special garden, with all of its meaning, the story continues. We're introduced to this snake. Now, the author of Genesis doesn't tell us um, specifically who or what the snake is. From this passage, we gather that it is a creature who is made by God that is in a state of rebellion against him. Now, the snake will later be linked with uh, Satan, um, and that is a, well, that means accuser or adversary uh, in Hebrew. So this snake comes along with a seemingly innocent question. Did God really say? And in fact, we do this an awful lot. How many times have you said to yourself, well, technically that's not what they said? Or, or you've asked someone else, did they really say whatever they said? Later on, it's, it's interesting. We'll see later on in our story that people in the, in the story of the Old Testament can also play this role that the snake plays in Genesis chapter 3. Now the woman, she doesn't recognize the, the malintent of the snake and she engages in this unwise discussion. Again, how many times have we been in Eve's position? When we're in a certain situation and a thought pops into our mind and it's a seemingly innocent thought or idea and we allow it to sit at our table to settle in our minds 
as if we're just thinking about it as a concept rather than really whether or not we would pursue it. That's what's happening with, with the snake when he says, Is, did God really say you can't eat from any tree? And Eve engages in that discussion. We entertain things often which we know aren't good for us. And perhaps in that moment we haven't given in. But we've started down a road which is all too often incredibly difficult to turn back from. And this is the case for Eve. So we're going to pause, and this is important. We'll see later on in this passage the danger of laying the blame at somebody else's door. And the blame for our sin. And importantly, and maybe it's a nuanced thing, but importantly, the snake is not the cause of Adam and Eve's problem. It's what happens in their hearts as a response to the snake. We, I know, sorry, this is cheating, I know. We're in Genesis and we're going, you know, advancing towards the end of Gen, uh, the Old Testament. And I keep referencing other books that are further down the line or in the New Testament. So that's cheating. I acknowledge that. But it helps. Um, in James, we read, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. What light does this shine on Adam and Eve's condition? Rather than it being the snake's fault that they have sinned, it is their desire that is at the root of the problem. But what is that desire? Hopefully we'll see. The snake tells Eve that God is holding something back from her. That she could be something more than she currently is. The snake tells Eve that she can be like God. I mean, that's, that's an amazing thing to be told. You can be like God. But surely we remember God really, really recently said something which is really important. He said in chapter 1 of Genesis, he said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Eve was already like God. God had made her in his image and likeness. I'm sure we don't need to think too hard to come up with scenarios that we have seen in our lives and in the lives of those around us where people, they already have something and yet they work and strive to try and achieve something that they already have 
Maybe it's respect. Maybe it's somebody's love. How often do we see that take place? Now, I told you that we would break this in half. And this might be unusual, but I think it's okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to take three or four minutes, and it's just going to be quiet. And what I want us to do in these three or four minutes is to pause and reflect, to think about these two things, about the garden and about the snake and what I've shared with you already. And reflect on what comes to your heart and mind as you hear about the garden and the snake. Because we want to be, like James said, people who respond to the word and do the word, not just hear and forget. So I'll put a timer on so we don't get lost in silence. And then let's just spend three or four minutes reflecting.
Okay. Point three, or the third thing, was the woman and the fruit. I'm sorry, often these titles, they're not very um, inventive. They're just slightly more descriptive. Um, So, the woman and the fruit. Eve has allowed the deception of the snake to take root in her heart. She has believed his lies that God is deliberately withholding something good from her. In verse 6 of chapter 3 we read, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And at face value, you know, it appears that we've been given some good, well, okay, they're not good reasons, but they're reasons that Eve is like, oh yeah, okay, it's, it's all right for me to take this fruit. It looks good for food, it looks yummy, um, and it looks really good, and I'll be wise for it, so yeah, let's not eat, or let's eat. But how many of you remember what happened in chapter 2 when God said, God had pl- or what happened was, God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. What kind of trees? Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And also in chapter 2, a bit later on we read, And God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, given this description, that last bit, of what will happen when the fruit is eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we could call it the tree of death. Now that paints a picture of a choice between life and death. You have a tree of life and a tree that brings death. And later on in our story, we will um, see that this is picked up by Moses in Deuteronomy. And sorry, it's a long way away but I couldn't resist. Um, And it's in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15 to 20. And if you go and read it with the the thought in mind of the tree of life and the tree of uh, death, let's call it, um, I personally found that to be really profound to read one in the light of the other. Anyway, sorry. Um, If we come back to our passage, rather than wandering off into the rest of the Old Testament, we see that these verses from chapter 2 shed some light. All the trees in the garden were pleasing to the eye and good for food. That wasn't something that was unique to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
As we already noted, Eve was focusing on something which was not good for her. Now, in the first two chapters of Genesis, the only one who was declaring if something was good or not good was God. He said seven times, and it was good. And God saw that it was good in the creation story in Genesis chapter 1. And then when God said, it is not good for man to be alone, just to remind you. Now, if we come back to our question of what was Eve's desire? And why was it bad? So mankind had been called to rule over the fish, birds, and creatures of the ground. Now, wisdom, knowing what is good and what is not good, is required if you are going to rule. And Eve desired wisdom. And that technically wasn't the problem. The problem was, how was she going to get that wisdom? Was she going to trust God that he would provide the wisdom that she needed? Or would she trust the snake and would she strike out on her own, independent of God, to define what was good and not good in her own eyes. As we read through the rest of the Old Testament, we're going to see that this is a bit of a motif that appears time and time again of people seeing and doing what is right in their own eyes rather than trusting God. And in our lives... How frequently do we do that? How frequently do we strike out on our own, independent, and start defining good and evil, or good and not good, in our own terms? It's not hard to see that the world that we live in is broken and corrupt. We only have to turn on the TV or read the paper to see the heights of human depravity and the devastation that that causes to other humans and to the rest of God's creation. And in the view of Genesis chapter 3, this is because we all choose to define what is good and bad in our own terms, rather than trusting God. Okay, the fourth one is mankind's interaction with God post-sin. Once Adam and Eve had eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, their eyes were opened, they realized they were naked, and they covered themselves. That intimacy that we heard Jan speak about last week has been compromised. The woman had been taken from Adam's side. Pardon me, sorry. Did you hear that? Did it come through? No? Just paranoid. The woman had been taken from, from Adam's side. She hadn't been taken from his head to rule over him or from his feet to be ruled by him. She had been taken from his side 
a contrast to him, yet equal with him. Neither complete without the other. And where previously the man and the woman were both naked and they felt no shame, now they hide the most intimate parts of themselves from one another. That relationship is broken. That safety and trust has been damaged beyond their capacity to repair. We see this played out every single day of our lives. This is a sad story. Either with those that we are in relationship with or in the relationships of others. How often do we hide how we feel or what we think because of how we think it might be perceived by those around us? And how often do we see people presenting their lives, often on social media, as if they were living the perfect life with no difficulties or struggles? As people, we have a deep longing to be known. And yet, at the same time, we have a paralyzing fear that if people did truly know us, that they would be horrified and that they would reject us. And this is a result of the events that are unfolding in Genesis chapter 3 in the garden. Now, not only is the relationship between Adam and Eve broken, but also the relationship between them and God is broken. We read that the man and his wife heard the sound of God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from God among the trees of the garden. The pinnacle of God's creation, mankind, has been made to live connected to God. And we see how before these events, that was playing out. God and man in the same picture with nothing between them, no mention of fear or hiding. But when God asks the man where he is, the response follows, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. But interestingly, it isn't the nakedness that brings the fear or shame. After all, they were naked before. And they didn't feel that fear or shame. They hid because they were afraid of facing God with what they had done. Adam fears God, but too late. If he had feared God earlier, then he would have obeyed his command. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 says, The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, or the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Tragically and ironically, the very thing that Eve sought after, that wisdom, she would have found in submission to God. When God confronts Adam, who told you that you were naked? 
Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? Adam continues in this fear of being naked before God, even though surely he knows or is aware that God already knows everything. He refuses to come clean and confess his rebellion against God, and he plays the blame game. The woman that you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Not only does Adam refuse to acknowledge his own failure, but he also blames Eve, and can you believe it, God himself. He tells God it's his fault. The cheek. Can you imagine? I can't. And if this doesn't highlight the brokenness of the relationship between man and God, I don't know what else does. When God asks the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman plays the same game. And she says, well, the snake deceived me and I ate. We all know, and all too well do we know it, the temptation to pass the buck, to blame somebody else for our own failures. This again, sadly, is something that we see permeating our society. At all costs, don't admit that you were wrong, that you messed up. I feel like I see or hear a lot of that with politics at the moment. Um, And again, we see that this rooted here in the beginning of Genesis. Now, interestingly, God didn't turn up accusing and condemning Adam and Eve. His approach was to offer an opportunity to be open and vulnerable. Unfortunately, This is now the very thing that they are terrified of, of being naked um, before somebody else. And we don't know what might have been if they had taken that opportunity to be vulnerable, to come clean and own their failures before God. And maybe it's a futile or pointless thought. But it does reinforce to us just how severe this new condition of fallenness is for mankind. It's an enormous barrier, not only between mankind itself, between individual relationships, and on the larger scale between nations, let's call it, but even more importantly, between us and God. Genesis chapters 1 to 3 is the lens that the... And this is good, I'm wearing glasses, so you can see lenses. I need these to see well. Genesis chapters 1 to 3 are the lenses that the rest of the Bible are viewed through. It lays a foundation for what's to come. And many of the things that we have, or that I've spoken to you about, will come up again and again 
and again throughout the Old Testament. And it's important that when they do, we're thinking about Genesis chapters 1 to 3. And we have that in mind. Otherwise, we potentially miss the, the winking that's going on. We find written, sorry, I'm doing it again, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. As we read or listen to the scriptures, we should be trying really hard to allow them to read us. As we read the scriptures together, it can be really nice and, and important to learn things about the culture and the context in which um, the particular passages are written. However, that should never be in place of allowing the scriptures through the work of God's spirit to show us the reality of our condition and how desperately we need Jesus in our lives and then lead us in responding in an appropriate way. So with that in mind, let's take another four minutes to just reflect on those last two things. If you want reminding what they were, I won't tell you in detail, um, but the woman and the fruit and then mankind's response to God post-sin. So let's just spend four minutes reflecting.
as we close, it was poking my ear, sorry. As we close uh, our time together, and as we sing, let's bear in mind what we have read and heard this evening. And let's just pray before we do that. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you have given us your word in the Bible. We thank you um, for the way that you speak to us through it. And how we have heard of the origins of sin and the origin of our fallen nature and condition. Father, I thank you that from where we are looking back, that we're not lost that we know that Jesus came and we know that he dealt with the things that we could not deal with, that he paid the price that we couldn't pay. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness and would you lead us in responding in an appropriate way to your word this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.